Father, as we open your word, please speak to us. Please open our hearts and our minds, and by the power of your spirit, change us. Let us hear the eternal truth of your word, and let it equip and encourage us in all areas of our lives to live kingdom first every day of every week of every year for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I was younger, I got really tired of something my parents were trying to teach me to say please and thank you. It felt like every time I was turning around, there was one more, and what do you say coming out? And it just, you know, as a kid, you're like, give it a rest. And then you become a parent and get your own kids. And you just feel like you say it over and over and over again. And the crazy part to me is when you go, and what do you say? And they look at you like, huh? <laughs> like, this is not a pop quiz. This is the 478th time I've asked you this exact same question, and the answer is the same answer as last time. Teaching kids to say thank you. It's an important thing, right? Anybody disagree with that? We all know that being thankful is important. I like this quote. So much has been given to me, I have not time to ponder over that which has been denied. An attitude of, of gratefulness, of thankfulness, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Being thankful. And how important thankfulness is. Now, you can go back about two and a half years or so, and you can hear my other sermon on thankfulness. I may have even stolen a few things out of it, but it's worth it. It's that important, thankfulness. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We are starting, during the summer, we usually take one of the smaller epistles one of the smaller books in the New Testament, and we just go kind of front to back. Um, because of our seasons, we don't often have an opportunity to do that. We tend to jump around a lot, but we take this summer period, and this summer it's Colossians. So we're going to get most of the book. Uh, there'll be parts of it we don't get toward the end, but we're going to get most of it. Colossians chapter 1, and here's what I want to do this morning. What is Paul's practice or attitude? What do we see in Paul when it comes to thanksgiving? Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Basic introduction, you have it in almost every one of his epistles, but as we dive into the beginning of this letter, here's the first thing I want you to see. Paul 
has a practice of thanksgiving. It is not something that he just reacts to circumstances and gives, hey, thank you for that. Or this thing happened, wow, thanks. He has a practice, a regular routine of thanksgiving. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God when we pray for you. And you can go to his epistle to the Romans, his epistle to the Philippians, his epistle to the Thessalonians, his epistle to the Corinthians. They all have this same idea in it because this is a normal practice for Paul. As he is praying and he's thinking of this congregation, it is his regular routine to say, God, thank you. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for their faith. Thank you that your spirit is working in that group and they are bearing fruit, as we'll read in a moment. This is what Paul did on a regular routine. And this is, this is very, very different. It's totally okay, Jack. We're thankful for you, Jack. It's really important to recognize that there's a distinction between reacting to something that happens and having something so routine or so habitual in you that you look for things and you even look for things when you don't even try to look for things because it's so natural for you. Here's the example that I ran across at Vestry. Um, we were talking about the way the chairs are set up now, and they're all facing forward. And normally, we have two sections out on the sides. They're kind of angled, right? Dan Mead sits right over there. And part of the reason he sits right over there is because whenever a door opens, Dan's looking. Most of us, we don't even notice. I mean, unless somebody causes a commotion, we don't notice a door opens, Mark Hill's probably the same way. Here's something else both of them would likely notice that most of us would not. If there were a threatening person, they would see the threat before any of us would. They would see things that we're not even looking for. We wouldn't even know to look for them. And they probably wouldn't even be trying. It would just be so natural because it's been habituated into them. That's how Paul is with thanksgiving. It's just his natural expression. He gives thanks. He's not waiting for something to happen to him. He just sees it. He knows he gives thanks for it. And it is strong enough that, look at this. Keep reading. Verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, this practice that he has, this routine that he has of thanksgiving, it is not deterred by the circumstances surrounding the thing he gives thanks for. And here's what I mean. Paul brought a number of people to faith. These are not one of them. This congregation, he's not met them. He's heard of them. 
And yet he gives thanks for the congregations he did not bring to Christ. He gives thanks to the congregations that he did bring to Christ. You know what else? When he writes his letter to the Thessalonians, he's actually in a, on a missionary journey. He's doing God's work. When he writes his letter to the Philippians, he's in prison. But the circumstances don't change that he's giving thanks for them. It doesn't matter that here he's doing the work of God, and here he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. It doesn't matter. They're still worth giving thanks to. Because his circumstances aren't impacting how he sees what is worthy of thanksgiving. Now, how many of us, you're just really, really depressed one day, and you couldn't think of a single thing to give thanks for? Or something's going, things are going so bad in your life that the last thing you do give thanks for anything, but that's not Paul. Paul has gone through things that the majority of us will never experience. And he's still giving thanks. Because the things he's thankful for, number one, they're part of how he thinks. It's part of that routine. It's part of his practice. And number two, those things are still worth giving thanks for even when he's in prison. That congregation is still worth giving thanks for even if he didn't lead them to Christ. His circumstances aren't altering it. He keeps his eye on the ball. The image that I got when I was studying this is, so we've had a couple of labs, and labs, for the most part, love to play fetch. My lab does not care what the weather is like. If you will play fetch with her, she will play fetch with you. It can be 110 degrees outside, or it can be 32 degrees outside. But if you'll pick up that ball, she is ready. She's going to go after that thing. It can be raining, and if you go play with her, she will go play with you because what she cares about, she sees that ball, and everything surrounding it doesn't change that the ball is still amazing. The things that are worthy of giving thanksgiving for, they're still worthy of giving thanksgiving for, even when other things are bad. And for Paul, it's become such a practice that, again, it doesn't matter if he's in prison or he's on a missionary journey. It's still worth giving thanks for. It doesn't matter if he's shipwrecked or if he's getting encouragement from a congregation. It's still worthy to give thanksgiving. It's part of how he thinks, and the circumstances don't change it. And there's something that I noticed in this that I thought was really interesting about Paul giving thanks. Keep reading with me. He's going to now, he's giving kind of why he's giving thanks. Um, Because of their faith and their love. Verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The reason they have this faith and this love is there's this, it's centered on the hope that they have. They really firmly have bought into this hope, and it's given them a faith and a love. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and growing. And this is really important for later on. Because this whole epistle, he will be challenging some of the other religions and philosophies of the world. And as he starts off here, he drops this little nugget. The gospel of truth is bearing fruit. These other things are not. 
as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And then verse 9, and so... From the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled, and he's going to start this whole list of stuff he wants for them. Here's what I want to point out. Paul can give thanks for an incomplete work. Paul can see the steps they've taken, your love and your faith and how you rely on this hope. But he also knows They still have steps to take. I mean, listen to all of the things he prays. So you heard why he prays. That's that first paragraph. Here's the content of his prayer. He gives thanksgiving, but then here's the content. I am praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So they already are bearing fruit, but Paul knows there's more. They're already having faith, and Paul knows it can grow. But he doesn't go, okay, now once you get to there, then I'll be grateful. No, he's like, you guys have started the process. This is amazing. I'm so thankful. You've taken the first three steps out of 100, and I'm so thankful for that. And at the same time, I'm going to pray that you keep making the steps. Paul is able to not be satisfied with where they are, but also not be discouraged by how far they still need to go. He's just thankful that they've gotten to here, and now he's praying that they keep going. And this prayer is so important because where God wants them they'll never get without his power. I mean, he's praying for wisdom. He's gonna pray for strength. All of this is so that you can walk in this worthy manner of the Lord. Because you can't do that on your own. Those next 97 steps, you need his help. So I am thankful for where you are. And I'm praying that you keep going. Paul's thankfulness is such that he can see even the baby steps, because it's such a part of his thinking. This is his normal way of seeing the world. And so you don't have to be all the way down the road. You don't have to have perfect success before I finally go, oh, good job, I'm so thankful. Man, I'm gonna thank you at step three. I'm gonna give thanks to God at step six and step seven and step 10, because I'm seeing the way that God is working. He has a practice of thankfulness. It's routine. It's as normal for him as the way Dan sees the door. It's how he sees people and his circumstances and what God is doing because it's a practice. Thanksgiving is not our most natural mode. Is it easier to complain or to give thanks? Is it easier to see the negatives or the positives? I mean, 
it's just not natural because our flesh, because of the devil, and I would argue because thanksgiving is so fundamental for living kingdom first. So fundamental for living out what God has for us. To the point that all these amazing things we see in Paul, how in the world does somebody get beaten, starved, thrown in prison, shipwrecked, and then just keep going and keep praising God? How does somebody pray after all of the sacrifices they have made? How does somebody say, God, will you just take this one thing from me? I have served you in all these ways. I've given all of this stuff. I just need you to take this one thing from me. And God says, no. And then he goes, but his grace is sufficient for me. How do you get to that point? Thanksgiving is so powerful. So let me share a couple of things. Um, Last time I taught on Thanksgiving, I started by asking you, If I could give you something that would allow you to sleep better, would allow you to deal with depression and anxiety better, would help your cardiovascular health and your immune system, if you would want it. There are studies linking thanksgiving and gratitude to all of that. It's like this super pill that affects all these areas of our life. It transforms how we see what's around us. It gives Paul the strength to be in the middle of this terrible situation and see good, believe God, and keep going. Because he practices this. It's his normal way of seeing things. And I think the biggest reason is this right here. Have you ever sent a text to somebody and Siri lovingly autocorrected it for you? And it came out as something maybe different than what you thought it would be. Um, I, I went online to look up some of these. I can't share the majority of them with you because the autocorrections are really inappropriate for church. They're hilarious, but they are really inappropriate for church. But I did find a few that I thought were good. This is a wife, and she is texting her husband on his birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to dead husband. Happy birthday to you. (laughs) And he writes back, thanks. I assume you meant dear. And she's like, yes, crazy autocorrect. Here's a boy texting a girl. Can't wait to see you tonight. Girl, it's Friday. I'm getting pregnant tonight. (laughs) Boy, shouldn't we talk first? Girl, oh my God, I meant Pringles. I'm getting Pringles tonight. And this last one, this is a mom texting her daughter. The daughter works at a hair salon. Mom, hi, beautiful daughter. Arthur needs a haircut. Do you have anything Friday or Saturday? Daughter, hello. No, idiot. I'm booked solid. Oh, I didn't mean idiot, sorry. That's an auto spell. I meant I do not. Calling your mom idiot's a really bad thing. So here's the interesting thing about autocorrect. 
you're trying to send a particular message. Siri helpfully corrects things for you, and you send the wrong message. You send something you didn't actually mean. It's not real. It's not true. The daughter didn't mean to call mom an idiot. The girl didn't mean she's getting pregnant. And the wife was not singing happy birthday to dead husband. But that happens in our lives all the time. And it looks like this. Something really bad is going on in our life, and we get a text message. And it gets auto-corrected to this. God doesn't really care about you. Or he had helped. We are constantly getting messages that our flesh, that the devil, that our really bad experiences, our pain, our backgrounds, they're auto-correcting. And they're telling us false things about God, about our circumstances, about ourselves, about who we really are, and about how God really sees us. And the way that those get the acts, because here's the problem. When that autocorrect happens, typically we send the text, don't we? You actually, the other person gets the signal, they get the message. We're getting wrong messages. But when we practice thanksgiving, when we begin to see the world the way it actually is, not the way that our pain is telling us it is, not the way that our circumstances are telling us it is, but the way it actually is in Christ, then we can also respond to the world in the right way. We can actually believe the song that we sing. He is always faithful. Not that autocorrect that says, God, do you really love me? God, do you really care about my circumstance? God must not because this thing is continuing to happen. That is the devil, that is our flesh, that is the background that we have, that is the baggage and the pain, but it's not the reality of God. And what Paul had was this completely different way of seeing the world, where he never lost sight of the good things that God did even when the bad things were happening. He's getting pummeled with stones, but he still knows God saved his soul and forgave his sins and to save another people. We, as a people, must learn gratefulness, thankfulness, if we ever want to walk in the way that God has for us, because it is that strong. I'm going to read that quote to you again to end. So much has been given to me, I have not time to ponder over that which has been denied. That's what I want the truth of my life to be. That was said by Helen Keller. Just think about that. Imagine that you are blind and deaf. And you're at a point in your life where you can say, so much has been given to me. I have not time to ponder over that which has been denied. I've been denied a lot of things, but... I can see and I can hear. But the practice of gratitude 
gives us a power to see the world differently. Honestly, to see it how it is. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you have loved us, cared for us, walked with us. And what I know, Lord, is right now there are people in this room going through really difficult things and they feel far from you. Lord, help us to see the many things in our lives that do not deny the hardships, but they show the other side. Let us see the blessings even as we struggle with the hardships. And let us become not just people that react to good things, but that see them intuitively because it becomes our practice that we might be grateful people because you truly have done so much for us. In Jesus' name, amen.